0: Oh
1: Of
2: Islam Radio. Alhamdulillah, may the Shaitan be Bismillah, irahman, irahim. In the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Ever Merciful. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 27th of February, 2023. The time is 7:03, and you're listening to your hosts, Daniel Zia and Imam Mubashir Zafri, live from the breakfast studios uh, in South London, uh, from the breakfast studios of Voice of Islam in South London um the uh, topics that we shall be talking about today as is the norm in this show we talk about two topics um, uh here on mondays uh, the first topic is about uk interest rates and how could they how high how further high should i say could they go and um uh, or are they expected uh, to go and how is that expect um affecting people in general and the second topic is about um, uh, Shell's uh, profit, actually, which uh, have been reported to be the highest ever. So they recorded uh, Shell, uh, the um, uh, the fuel company, recorded highest ever profits. And uh, we shall have a discussion um, on that. The, these were the highest reported profits in 115 years. Um, and before I delve into the uh, news uh, of the
3: morning, um, a very warm welcome, Imam Mubash Zafri. As-salamu alaikum, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Thank you for the warm welcome. Yes, it's been a bit of a chilly morning, a chilly start to uh has it not? Absolutely. Today, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's been quite good recently, but it's gone cold again, so Exactly. Thank so, God there was
2: no frost on the car. Oh, yes, I was of course. Very thankful for that. Yeah, absolutely,
3: <laughs> of course. But yeah, it's expected to stay like this for some while. Yeah. But hopefully uh it's gonna take a shift. And we'll enter the
2: well. Yeah, first of March is officially the the onset of spring. Well, so of yeah, let's uh, let's hope for the best, and let's absolutely. hope that it uh, it turns for the better next um, at least next week. Because yeah, you're right. This week is uh, expected to remain like this. Okay, so um, uh, let's talk about the um, news items appearing in the newspapers this morning. So Rishi Sunak's new budget deal for Northern Ireland. Dominates many of Monday's papers, with several front pages featuring the EU's Ursula von der Leyen visits uh, to Britain. In its lead story, the uh, Daily Express quotes Mr. Sonak is saying the agreement is the best for Britain. Britain is close to ending its Brexit nightmare over Northern Ireland, says the Metro. The paper reports that the Prime Minister will meet the European Commission president for final talks at lunchtime. Can Axel, his Brexit deal? asks the Daily Mail. The paper says the new agreement could trigger a Tory civil war. The Guardian says the Prime Minister will have to convince hardline Tory Brexiteers and Democratic Unionist Party (the DUP), but both have said that they will only give a verdict once the deal um, have been read by them in full. The paper says no. Uh, uh, the paper says Number Ten is braced for a potentially hostile response. The potential of a Tory revolt over the New Deal is also covered in the Daily Telegraph's lead story. The paper reports that Tory Eurosceptics and the DUP say they will not back any agreement unless EU law is expunged from Northern Ireland. There are also concerns around whether MPs will be given a vote on the deal, it reports. The deal is basically there, both an EU and UK official tells the Financial Times. The paper says the number of MPs opposed to the deal could be limited to about 30, according to the Prime Minister's allies. Elsewhere, the paper features an image of survivors sitting on a beach after a shipwreck killed at least 59 people of southern Italy. And government sources tell the Times new Brexit uh, deal contains far-reaching concessions from the European Union that will safeguard Northern Ireland's place in the UK. They say it will involve changes to the Brexit withdrawal treaty. Like the Financial Times, the paper's main image is of volunteers and coast guards recovering the body of one migrant who drowned in the unfortunate shipwreck in Italy. Justice for Joanna reads the Sun's headline. The paper reports that the family of murdered Joanna Simpson will meet the Justice Secretary amid fears over her killer's parole bid. The Daily Mirror reports that a 20% rise in energy costs in April could plunge 1.7 million more households into crisis. And that uh, concludes the roundup of the papers this morning. We shall now take a quick break, and when we come back, we will continue this discussion on um, what's uh, the newspapers talking about this morning. So please do stay tuned.
0: Allah.
4: شهاد <تصفيق>
1: Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio.
2: Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of the Breakfast Show from the South London Studios of Voice of Islam. You're listening to al Zia and Imam Mubashir Zafri, and we are talking about what's uh, appearing in the newspapers this morning. Imam Zafri, um, this news about um, the um, rise in the um, a- in the minimum age for marriage. Um, have you had a chance Absolutely, to read
3: through that? Yes, so there's been uh, recently, an, uh, they've made some changes to the laws with regards to marriage and minimum age for that. So it used to be 16, so 16 and 17-year-old um, people could get married. But now they've changed that to 18, and the motive behind that is to protect uh, such marriages that are... Hmm forced, uh, you know, to give rights to children's rights. Uh, It's a movement for children's rights, and that's the key factor behind having that change. So we know that in the past there have been a lot of cases whereby uh, a lot of young girls have been taken Mm. from, you know, have been taken back to their countries, original countries where they belong Mm. to, and they've been forced into marriages to either family members or you know, people that they don't know, and then that's caused uh, a lot of issues, especially domestic violence. So yeah. um, that's one of the uh, motives behind changing the age limit for marriage, is to give rights to to those people who are Vulnerable. proposing to m- marry. Hmm. Uh, and also uh, it's to protect any sort of violence that could emit from such a marriage. And that might be forced or there was no, uh, you know, if it wasn't accepted by either of the parties and they were coerced to <clears throat> get married. So that's one of the things that did catch my eye whilst going through the news. Uh, apart from that, they have, have, there have been other things, such as you mentioned about Rishi Snark uh, trying to clear out things with Northern Ireland yeah. in terms of Brexit. Brexit itself has been going on for quite a yeah. lengthy time. And a lot of us now, I think, it's just at the back of our heads now. But you know, we do often hear about it here and there. Um, we're still struggling to fully get ourselves out of the whole Brexit situation. Yeah, this this was the last <coughs> remaining and, and and a big one actually. You Absolutely. Know, this, yeah. uh,
2: the, the Northern Ireland um, protocol actually is the uh, as is the last stumbling block. I think that needs to be agreed yep. upon.
3: And hopefully, then after that, we shouldn't have to worry about Brexit, uh, because it has dragged on now. Um, well, yeah, sh- we
2: probably wouldn't have to worry about it from the point of view of uh, of an agreement or yep. a disagreement. But I think there's uh, there is a, a a rising debate about the consequences of Brexit.
3: Oh yes, of course, that that's a debate that will always be there. Hmm. I mean, there was a lot of people who, out of haste, uh, voted for Brexit, um, and only after the repercussions that they saw of leaving Brexit, they realized that they had done everything in haste mm. rather than paying attention to what was actually happening behind the closed they, doors. They were
2: also, I think, missold a little bit. They were sold in oh, the land of milk and honey. Absolutely. Which, uh, which hasn't, uh, it hasn't really transpired that oh, way. Of
3: course, absolutely not. It hasn't, it hasn't come into existence at all. So a lot of people are... Somewhat uh, taken back by what's happened with Brexit, and then the whole situation of uh, leaving the EU. You know the constant changes within the party, the leading party, and then the you know the leading role of being the prime minister. That being, you know, going with, it, was, it was a transient moment. So it was really quickly movement of movement changes after changes. So that had a lot of impact as well on the stability of our mm-hmm. leadership so those are things that have had an effect on the general public but i think now hopefully after this we're going to put that uh, behind us behind us yeah i think this forward. will be
2: a big um, uh, g- this will impress me tremendously uh, if the government which which uh, you know from all um um uh, for all um, we see in the media today for all intents and purposes, looks all set to be confirmed, I think will be a big win for Rishi Sunak, Uh, although there might be a revolt as a result of that. But uh, in my books, I think that's that's a big tick in the box uh, uh, for him. In other news, um, there's an Australian startup uh, which has uh, taken over a battery maker, British Volt, in in the UK. So British Volt had actually collapsed and declared uh, bankruptcy. And this was a gigafactory uh, being built in northern England and the Australian startup. up uh, So this is an Australian-based company, Recharge Industry, which will take over this collapsed battery maker, British Volt. Um, and the deal has been finalized uh, with administrators late on Sunday. The agreement revives hopes for the construction of a £3.8 billion gigafactory in northern England. The backbone of a plan to modernize the British automotive industry and supply the next generation of UK built electric vehicles. The deal was finalized three weeks after Recharge. An Australian company that sits under New York based investment firm Scale Facilitation was nominated as preferred bidder, placing a huge opportunity and burden on a startup yet to construct a project. Scale Facilitation's Australian born founder and chief executive, David Collard told The Guardian, the factory and an associated supply park where components components are manufactured would still be the focus of discussions. We're working, working closely with one of the leading UK fund managers looking to team up on the development, said Mr. Collard. Recharge also plans to build a battery factory in Geelong, a former car manufacturing hub in Australia, free from Chinese and Russian materials. British Volt was planning to build its 30 gigawatt-hours factory in phases to take advantage of rising EV electric vehicle demand ahead of UK's 2030 ban of new petrol and diesel cars. The plant, located near Blythe in Northumberland, was expected to employ about 3,000 people when operating at full capacity. It had £100 million in conditional financing from the British government, but failed to meet various hurdles. British world collapsed last month after running out of cash, with its demise partly blamed on the considerable sums it spent on battery technology and research. Part of recharge's pitch was focused on its existing relationship with American lithium um, iron battery developer C4V, removing the need to develop new technology. Uh, this reminds me, Zafi, of, of one more thing, which, uh, which is about to come into effect, which is the... Uh, enforcement of the ultra-low ultra, ultra low emission zone, um, the expansion of that zone in London. Um, yeah. <clears throat> what are your thoughts about it? Uh, I mean, of course, think?
3: I mean, there's different narratives. So there's always two sides of the coin or to the coin. So, of course, those people who are metal heads, I mean those who are fanatics regarding cars and love driving their three-litre uh, engine-sized cars, yeah. they they are quite furious about the fact that the ultra-low-emission zone is extending from where it currently uh, is situated. Uh, but again, uh, they, they they have made some facilities, newer cars, they do comply with the low-emission zone uh, restrictions uh, and uh, they they are able to go into zones that are ultra-low, zone, uh, ultra-low emission zones uh, but as far as uh, the other side or the the arguing side is that you know of course we need to take care of our environment and this is a step forward and mm. we need to be more careful about it so they have a valid point as well uh, but again it, it all depends to a uh, person to person how they feel about you know their cars if they if they if they're fanatics about cars and they have a hobby of driving, you know heavy cars with a heavy load on petrol mm. and diesel, then uh, you know you have to be somewhat careful of how you're going to. It has also affected forward. a lot of working class people, hasn't oh, yes. it? Uh, you know people <coughs> who usually drive to work and and obviously don't have a new vehicle. Absolutely, um, so, yes. For uh, them, it's difficult yeah. again. So it's it's. See that's another side of the of the argument that people who aren't able to afford EVs or hybrid cars, yeah. uh, what do they do? Where do they go? Yeah. So you know there are some methods that they have incorporated in their policies to help people start. You know, buy such cars, especially electric vehicles. There's always some sort of schemes going on, either from the government or from companies. That would assist in helping you get a car, but of course, as the prices are rising, uh, it is it is getting difficult for some people. I, in fact, I know a person uh, who who's driving an electric vehicle. He's saying that before the whole energy crisis, uh, the the bill that was coming, that the bill that he was coming to was quite you know it was, it was quite low, so it, EB was working for him, elect, you know charging his car it was cheaper than putting petrol in. Hmm. But now, you know, for the same amount of miles that £20 give you in fuel, that's the same amount of miles that he gets out of £20 worth of charging. Right. So he was just saying that, you know, it's quite it's debatable a, yeah. whether EVs are cheaper or cheaper, not. Cheaper, yeah. But yeah. yeah, for those who From are, the environment perspective, of course,
2: yes. it, uh, it, it's a, it's the right thing to do. But yeah, you're right. It It's not a cheaper option as of it was uh, outlined before.
3: And EV cars aren't coming cheap especially Correct. now because of these ultra low emission zones the production of hybrid cars and electric cars they've spiked up yeah. because you know you have to meet the criteria for for such things and people now are more inclined to oblige by the restrictions therefore therefore, therefore they are looking into getting evs and hybrid cars and that's uh, of course caused uh, you know absolute Increase in car value. Mm. Uh, we see that in the last couple of years, the prices of cars have just spiked. Yeah. Um, cars that were relevantly cheaper five, six years ago, they are now worth more yeah. than ever. So th- that's Great. that's that's also again one of the downsides that people are now just because of this ultra mm. emissions. And I know I know a lot of people who are looking into getting. Uh, cars that comply with the correct. I mean, rules. a lot of people are
2: struggling uh, uh, as a result of this new measure coming in, and yeah, there is uh, there is definitely the argument for those people who uh, uh, what what did you call them steel steel metalheads? Oh, uh, <laughs> metalheads, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so metalheads, yeah, that's one one side of the argument. But yeah, I think there's a lot, so, a lot of uh, working class people who who are affected by this as well, and they... Is your car com- compliant?
3: Yeah, so luckily I've got a, I've got a hybrid. Oh, excellent. So yeah. I was lucky Good. in that sense. So you're a coward. Yeah. So yeah, but a lot of petrol cars, especially cars that are after 2012, I believe, or 2010, they are... The, they they comply with the ultra low, ultra emission zone, or 2006, I believe. But so the 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 the, the, the figures are there, if anyone mm. wants to check. Mm. But then again, you have, you know there is a criteria for how many years and how long and what sort of. If, and also, if you have a diesel have, car, I think uh, prior to 2016 or or uh, 2015.
2: Yes, 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 yes. Then it's not compliant. Right. Yeah, yes. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. yeah. No, that, that's the thing, and so anyone who wants to have a diesel car, because diesel cars, again, if if we go into the uh, into that argument, some people believe that uh, diesel cars are much better in terms of sustainability, in terms of um, the 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 experience, driving experience, yeah. uh, the smoothness, uh, as well as the mileage that you get out of it. So. You know, people who who do want to go down that route, they have to get a car that it's that is that's compliant. And, yeah. that they're compliant and it's, you know, your is past 2016. Yeah, it post 2016.
2: Yeah, my advice to anybody would be, and and that's what I say to friends uh, and family. You've got to go electric. I mean, that's the future or hybrid at least. Um, mm. I I you know I if I was buying a new car, I wouldn't invest in another diesel or a petrol car now. I would. Um, you know, those cars will be banned, uh, as you just read out, after 2030. So um, a, the future is electric, so we've got to start moving and thinking in, in that direction.
3: Yeah. But again, the again, thing is, to what extent do you want to put that out? Do you want cars to be eliminated completely from, you know, uh, uh, what do you call them? Um, engine cars. Do you want to eliminate them completely? So what would people... Who who generally but they, but they are
2: being eliminated. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, eliminating them. So that's the government policy. Oh, of that course, kind of so, after so 2030, they'll be yeah, banned.
3: They'll be banned. That's what I'm saying. That if once they're banned, people who do want to, you know, go out for a, a quick uh you know metalheads metal of course <laughs> they want to get their you know rush of dopamine yeah. by driving uh, I'm sure they'll
2: invent the electric version of those Oh they whatever.
3: have they've they've started that now so a lot of supercars right they have gone electric but the thing is a lot of the people who who are uh, you know enthusiasts of driving and are enthusiasts of big heavy uh you know big engine cars uh, a lot of it has to do with the experience as well so mm. you know the soaring and roaring sound of the <laughs> exhaust uh you know the thrusts yeah. of the engine yeah. all of those things it's 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 an experience <coughs> um so what they've done now in um some of the supercars is that they've done that uh, <laughs> they've, they've they've added um what do you call them uh voice effects sound effects sorry mm-hmm. that give an impression that the car is you know the, oh, the engine okay. roaring <laughs> but it's electric so car. that they can get the same rush of blood yes yeah but i think they know that nowadays it's end not the same thing but yeah but let's see how that turns out i mean we are trying to save god the future but let's see what happens
2: yes absolutely And with that, we conclude this uh, segment of uh, discussion on current affairs. The reminder of the two topics that we shall be discussing today. So the first topic is about the rise in interest rates and how that affects everybody. And the second topic is uh, about the um, highest profits in 115 years reported by Shell recently. So we shall start. The second topic is about 8.15 a.m. and the first topic in about five minutes time. Once again, the first topic is about the um, rise in interest rates and how that's affecting everybody. Please do stay tuned and do join in both of these discussions by calling us at 208 You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam. We shall be back right after this quick break, and we will delve right into the first topic, which is about the rise in interest rates.
0: Allah.
4: اشهد ان
1: listening to The Voice of Islam Radio.
0: The Voice of Islam Radio.
5: Hazret Yusuf, on whom be peace, mentions God's favors by virtue of his attribute of Al-Latif, the benignant. By recalling how God was his friend, while his brothers conspired against him, according to the lexicon, Latif is a kind of gracious being, one who is benevolent to his creation, as well as one who is aware of all subtle and incomprehensible matters. Al Latif is one who illuminates hearts, who makes arrangements for physical and spiritual nourishment, and who offers his friendship to his servants during times of tribulation. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that sight, intellect, and consciousness cannot reach God. It is impossible to try and see Him He is Al-Latif, he is unseen and illuminates the person he reaches to such an extent that the person speaks for him, a divine honor mostly granted upon the prophets of God. God is the knower of all subtleties and is all aware. He is of those who seek him and raises prophets to be their guide to him. His light is manifested through his prophets, as they spread the light of unity of God all around them. Among all the prophets of God, the holy prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, disseminated this light the most. For it was he who had the most perfect perception of God, and it was he who was completely imbued in the colors of God. In the current age, because of his perfect and complete devotion and subservience to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, God has granted this distinct honor to the promised Messiah on whom be peace. It is the attribute of latif that makes God the friend of his servants in all trials and tribulations. Just as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, continuously prayed for the reformation of his ummah, as well as his opponents, as only Al-Latif can be the guidance and reformation. Al-Latif is the supporter of the victim, the voice of the oppressed. Al-Latif is that companion whose loyalty never fails to astound. It is he who fills hearts with his magnificent light. Then should we not be grateful for the mercy of
0: Al Latif.
1: You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB via the internet twenty-four hours a day.
3: Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wa, rahmatullahi wa peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. All the time is seven thirty. And if you just joined the Voice of Islam uh radio, uh we are going into our first discussion and that is regarding the interest rates in the UK and how high could they go and how could they affect all of us. So For the 10th time in a row, the Bank of England has raised interest rates, Uh, but analysts predict that it's nearing uh, the peak. The benchmark rate has gone up from 3.5% to 4% uh, following the latest Monetary Police Committee meeting. Uh, The impact of a rate rise will be felt by borrowers through higher mortgage and loan costs uh, and in better returns for savers across the UK. Uh, More rate raises are likely to come, uh, but there's a widespread belief that these may end uh, by the end of the year. Uh, The bank will be keen not to dampen the economy, uh, which is expected to enter a recession. Analysts believe that the rate will peak at 4.5% in the summer. Uh, This is lower than predictions had suggested when the government was in turmoil Uh, after its mini budget was uh, badly received. Um, But the thing is that uh, the bank's monetary policy committee committee meets eight times a year to decide interest rate policies. The results of the next meeting will come on the 23rd of March. Uh, It is, of course, under pressure to put rates up because it has a target to keep inflation at 2%. But prices are currently rising at 10.5%, which is more than five times that level. And of course, that is having a big impact on our economy.
2: Absolutely. Uh, thank you for that intro. Let's go straight to our first guest, which is Lily Aaron, who is the Senior Policy Manager at Money and Pension Service. as Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Breakfast Show.
6: Good morning. Thank you for having me on.
2: Uh, Morning. Uh, Lily, thank you for joining us Uh, so early in the morning. Really appreciate that. Um, uh, Tell us a little bit about Money and Pension Service.
6: Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, I'm a Senior Policy Manager at Money and Pensions. So um, we are an arm's length body. We're sponsored by the Department for Work and Pensions. But we're here to provide free and impartial guidance and help people make effective financial decisions throughout their entire lives. So we issue guidance through our Money Helper website, but we also offer individual guidance sessions where people can come and speak to us via web chat or WhatsApp or phone if they're looking for more sort of individual support. Uh, I work across the money guidance team so that's um, for me that's everything to do with credit and borrowing agreements so I look at everything to do with you, you know your mortgage any credit cards you might have any loans or even smaller amounts like buy now pay later things you know agreements where you've bought stuff online. And we can work to offer free and impartial guidance to people that help them manage those commitments and make sure that you're able to budget and plan to keep up with your repayments every month.
3: Hi there. Uh, It's uh, Mubashir here. Uh, Thanks for introducing uh, to us uh, what you you do and what sort of background you have in terms of uh, monetary advisory. Uh, But uh, just for the sake of our listeners, if you could just explain how... The Bank of England interest rates affect uh, mortgages and what people have to look out for when they are going for that?
6: Yeah. So I know a lot of borrowers might have been worried recently by the news that Bank of England base rate was going up, and there was a lot of talk about how that might be affecting mortgage holders. And the answer is that the base rate only affects some type of mortgages. So the people that will be initially affected by that rise will be people on a variable rate mortgage. So they are likely to see that immediate increase in their monthly payment when the rate goes up. However, hopefully when you took out this mortgage, your bank should have explained to you that this would mean your monthly payments could be subject to change. So you might have been expecting that. If you're on a fixed rate mortgage, any changes in the base rate will not have an immediate effect on the amount that you pay each month. And these mortgages fix the interest that you pay. So you are locked in to pay that same amount each month for that fixed period. Once you reach the end of that fixed period, which may have been two years or five years or sometimes even more now, you will usually revert onto your bank's variable rate, which can fluctuate, and then you would be affected by the base rate. So for people that are coming towards the end of their fixed rate, and you know that's coming up, right. you may want to talk to your current lender about your new, any new deals that they might offer you, or you look at your other options on the market and see what products are suitable for you going forward. But if you do find that your payments have gone up and you're worried about budgeting, we do have guides on this on our homepage. So you can go to Money Helper and look at those guides to help with the cost of living. And then for borrowers with um, Sharia-compliant products, how you're affected might depend on the type of rental rate that you were on. So it's kind of similar. For people on variable rental rates, you'll see that regular change and your lender should contact you to let you know. And for those on fixed rental rates, there should be no change in your monthly payments until that fixed rate agreement ends.
3: Right. Uh, So, I mean, let's say if I was to buy a house and if I'm buying a house for the first time and I'm a first-time buyer, uh, how is this new change and, of course, the increasing house prices uh, coupled with the higher interest rates. How could that affect me if I was a first-time buyer?
6: Mm-hmm. So, uh, tackle house prices first. I mean, obviously, the change in those house prices will affect what you can afford. But when you're looking at mortgages, there's a couple of factors that will affect your affordability and, and how the bank sort of views you and, and your affordability. So, what they'll be willing to lend you will depend on your income and then the loan-to-value that you're looking for. So loan-to-value essentially means the percentage of the home that will be financed by the bank. So if you're buying a £300,000 house and you have £30,000 to put down as a deposit, that is 10% of the property's value. Therefore, you need a loan to buy the remaining 90% and the loan-to-value is 90%. Next, the lender will look at your income and see what you could afford to pay back each month. So lenders might historically offer you between 3 and 4.5 times your income, but this will depend on each lender's own calculations and what they're willing to lend you. So you will have to speak to them to work that out. And there there are also statistics to suggest that at the moment, house price growth has slowed. So in the last couple of months, that has slowed down and first time buyers should be under less pressure in that regard. Um, And then on interest rates, this simply means that the cost of borrowing is higher and you're going to pay more over the term. Um, So your monthly repayments will typically be higher than they would have been if you'd taken out a mortgage a couple of years ago. But therefore, it's it's just really important. The main thing is understanding what's affordable for you and your specific circumstances. So for anybody looking to get a better picture of that, we actually have two mortgage calculators on our Money Helper site, which can give you an idea of what you could afford to pay each month based on your monthly living costs and your income. And then also what your monthly repayments would be on different types of mortgage and different interest rates. And you can adjust that on the calculator. Right. It's also worth bearing in mind that savings accounts can also attract a at higher rates. So if you're saving to buy now, right. it's a good time to look and see if you're getting the best rate.
3: Right. So so for for someone who's looking to get property, who is trying to get into the uh, property ladder, uh, what sort of advice would you give them? What sort of things should they look out for? What sort of things should they do right to get the best deal when it comes to uh, getting a mortgage? Uh, and if there are any schemes out there that facilitate that and help them, I mean, of course, your department that's out there helping people out uh, with their financial uh, situations and their, the, the, the way they go around with their finances. Uh, but if you, know, if you were to give advice to someone, uh, for example, going to uh, buy a first property for themselves, what could they do uh, and uh, how uh, you know, what should they look out for?
6: yeah absolutely there's a couple of schemes that can help first-time buyers get onto the property ladder so the first one is um the first home scheme so this offers first-time buyers a discount between 30 and 50 percent on the value of the property all right there are limitations on the type of property you can buy right it does have to be built by a developer or you have to buy it from somebody who already bought it through this scheme you have to be over 18. Your household income can't be more than £80,000 or £90,000 in London. And the property can't cost more than £250,000 or £420,000 in London. Right. That's after the discount has been applied. But councils can prioritise essential workers, people on lower incomes and people from the local area. So that's worth checking out if you might qualify. There's also the Mortgage Guarantee Scheme, which supports you to um, get a home with just a 5% deposit. So that reduces the amount you'll need to save. This is only applicable if the house is worth under £600,000. There's also shared ownership schemes, and these are available across England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. And that allows you to purchase between 25% to 75% of a property, and then you pay a reduced rent on a portion that you don't yet own. And over time, you can buy more and more shares in the property, and this is called staircasing, until you reach full ownership. Um, So there's slightly different rules for each of these across England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. So... If you look on the Money Helper website and search shared ownership, there's details there for that. There's also um, right to buy. So for some council council homes and housing association tenants, you might be able to buy your home under the right to buy or right to acquire schemes. So that means you can buy your house at a discount. You usually need to have been living there for three years. It should be your main home and your landlord does need to be a public sector landlord. So it needs to be a housing association, an NHS trust or a council. And right. then finally, there's lifetime ISAs. So that can help you boost your savings when you're trying to get that deposit together. So if you're between 18 and 39, you can open this lifetime ISA, which allows you to save up to £4,000 a year. And then the government will add 25% of your savings on top. So that means you could be adding an extra £1,000 each year to your money. Is and the that... maximum property value is um, up to £450,000. And just be warned, you do need to make your first payment before you're 40 um, but I, right. I realise there's a lot of information there sure. so if anybody would like any more information about those products um, that all that information is available on our site but if you'd like to speak to somebody, go to that website, that's moneyhelper.org.uk and navigate to the contact us page and there's details there on how you could speak to people on web chat, whatsapp, phone or even via just the web form
2: Excellent, this ISA that you talked about, is that still open? Yes,
6: yeah, so there was a help to buy ISA um, which was specifically for first-time buyers, that has now closed to applicants. If you st- if you did open one in time and you still have it, you can continue paying in. Mm-hmm. But now there is the lifetime ISAs, um, which you can continue saving into and opening up.
2: Okay, so you're still allowed to, to open new ones there. Um, how has the um, rise in interest rate affected people? who are in personal debt, for example, credit card debt, the size of the personal debt, I was just looking at some figures. As of November last year, it was um, close to 2,000 billion here in the UK, 2,000 billion pounds, that is. So how, how, how does that um, affect, or has that been affecting people in general?
6: yeah that it depends entirely on the types of debt that you have and the types of credit agreement that you have. But certainly, for people that are looking to take out new credit products, they might see those interest rates have gone up and the cost of borrowing is therefore higher, and the monthly repayments that you you would have to make on those will therefore be higher because the interest payments um will be higher. But it's really important just the main message i would get across is if you are in personal debt if you have already missed payments there is free um debt advice out there and one of the things that money helper does is we do um help people find free impartial debt advice and it you can find that through the Money Helper website. If you search debt locator tool, we have a tool there where you can find people near nearby and support nearby, and you can get that advice and make sure that you just tackle it head on. You know, there's no time too soon to start handling those that personal debt.
2: Would you agree that uh, interest rates are now
6: peaking? It's really not for me to say, and I, I don't know that anybody can comment on that. Um, I just, think, I think people have to take it as they come, reassess their personal budgets. Um, as I say, we've got lots of tools on our website, so we've got budgeting tools and we have guides to help with cost of living. But it's really about your personal circumstances and what is affordable for you.
2: Right. Excellent. Lily Aaron, thank you so very much for joining us. It was really a pleasure to speak to you. And you're thank absolutely you. right. Lots of information in there uh, and lots to digest uh, for uh, for our listeners. So thank you again for, for really an informative chat this morning. Thank you.
6: Thank you. Thank you very much.
2: Have a great day and peace be with you. So that was Lily Aaron, who is um, Senior Policy Manager at Money and Pension Service. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to this interview, please uh, go into SoundCloud after the end of this program and you can listen to all what uh, all the excellent advice that Lily had to share with us. Right. So uh, I think, you know, um, a lot of positives in there as well. So, you know, lots of help still available for first-time buyers, of it course. seems. And uh, um and yeah hopefully if interest rates uh, don't rise um, too much from yep. the current levels then um, uh, you know all's not uh, not bad
3: yeah there's always sport out there i mean if you're looking out for sport, there's it's always there there mm. are people out there who genuinely want to help you out uh, with everything in, in life uh, and of course buying a house that and you know your monetary um and your finances keeping a track of that can also be difficult so there are schemes and um organizations who do support you in that and give you aid and help uh, and assist you uh, into organizing your finances so that you uh, have a better output and of course with buying a house a property of course it's not easy to buy a property mm. Mm. anyone who does own a property knows how difficult it is to get onto that property ladder yes so uh, you know if there is help out there, uh, then why not? You should seek it and uh, you make use of it. And as you said, it's not all gloomy. It's not all, you know, rainy and bad. You know, there is still some sunlight and mm. sunshine out mm. there mm. for people who are looking for it. It is literally
2: as, as I look outside the window. Yeah, uh, the sun's shining. <laughs> yeah, the sun's shining. Um, okay, and um, uh, on that note, let's uh, go straight to our next guest, who is Mr. Najib Rafi a senior data and analytics manager at Visa UK. Assalamu alaikum peace be with you. Thank you for joining us. Wa
7: well, alaikum assalam. So
2: how are you? Very good. Um Mr. Rafi, uh, let me start by asking you uh, so you are um part of Visa UK. Um how how in your opinion um has the um has the level of personal debt um uh, is it sustainable do you think the the kind of personal debt people carry in the UK at the moment or do you think um, with the rise in interest rates it is affecting a lot of people negatively
8: yeah so um,
7: yeah personal debt it's really everyone's circumstances are different right yeah. um, some people can afford personal debt some people can afford to pay off their debt some people can't and I think as we've heard before, it depends a lot as well if your interest rate repayments are variable or fixed. So there's a lot of things that go into it. But of course, interest rates increasing are you know, affecting a lot of people and the interest rates affect a lot of people's disposable income. Oh. So for example, um, well disposable income essentially is the income that people have left after they've paid the income taxes. Right. So the income that they can essentially choose to spend or invest. Huh. So if interest rates are high, then um, essentially people are incentivized to save their money um, because when you save your money, you put your money into a savings account, then you essentially get a higher return on your savings instead of, and at the same time, essentially, if you borrow money, then it's more expensive to borrow that money because you're essentially paying more on your repayment so people are incentivized to save and that's basically with the higher interest rates and with personal debt um that's what the government tries to do really they try to incentivize you to save or to um, invest based on what's happening in the economy so again on personal debt it's um it's really difficult to say but yeah, pe- people nowadays with higher prices, higher inflation, they don't have as much money to spend. So, um, yeah, a lot of people are feeling the pinch these days.
2: And has that affected your company's business?
7: Um, so visa in quite a fortunate situation that Visa works in the payments industry. So
2: mm-hmm.
7: essentially Visa sees you know, what Visa does is that Visa processes payments. So you go into the shop and you pay. Visa sits in the middle and processes the payment. Um, so because there has been inflation, um, that means that the values that Visa sees, or the values that Visa processes, has actually gone up. Um, although other companies, other financial institutions have been hit quite hard. Um, I mean, you, you've seen companies like Disney, Dell, really large companies have had to lay off people so mm. I think Visa has been pretty fortunate but just looking at it quite broadly a lot of companies have been affected uh, uh,
2: Just to understand this so uh, you know if it, if disposable income is going down how mm. is uh, Visa processing going up?
9: How is credit so, card
2: payments going up?
7: So essentially what Visa does is now say you have gone and bought something from an, a shop. You've paid by contact. No, I, I, paid. I get
2: that. But my question is that if I have less disposable income, yeah, then yeah, yeah. I'm like, likely to go less to the shop and, and buy uh, stuff. Uh, wouldn't yeah. that affect Visa Visa's business?
7: It does. But at the same time, you need to remember that the disposable income is the like essentially how much stuff you can buy. There's also inflation at the same time, right? So prices have gone up. So if you think about it, the value of the oh, transaction. Okay. So I've paid for something which was 100 pounds before, right, and now right. it costs 110 pounds. Right. right. So so we actually see that, sure. as a sort of uplift.
3: All right. Just bouncing off that, uh, there was a there was a there was some statistics that came out that you know people are spending more, even due to the cost of living going up. People are still spending way more. I mean, there was statistics regarding the Black Friday. Uh, and comparatively from last year people had spent more this year than they had uh, last year and the biggest difference was that last year people were paying from their debit cards but this year around people are spending more but on their credit cards so how could that affect you know the, the finances of, of of the world especially in the, here in the UK that now people are reverting to using their credit cards rather than their debit cards. And how could that have an impact on the industry since we are talking about debt uh, and expenditure?
7: Yeah, um, so of course a shift from debit cards to credit cards means essentially people have gone from spending their savings, spending the money that they have saved up, to spending money that they're borrowing. Now money that you borrow is never free, right? Nobody gives you money for free. So, essentially, you will have to pay that money back and you will have to pay extra uh, interest on it. Now, at the moment, those interest rates are really high. So, for example, um, the Bank of England base interest rate currently is 4% um, in February 23. Uh, As a comparison, in December 21, so just over a year ago, it was 0.1%, right? So, it's gone up over 40% i mean over 40 times so if you're having to repay your interest back and you're having to pay at such a high rate then when it does come to making those repayments you'll have even less money and obviously that money will be going from your debit card or however you choose to repay it so if we are currently using credit cards to pay that means in the future you'll probably especially if people's incomes don't keep up with like sort of don't increase in line with those interest rates that they have to repay then in the future they will have less money essentially.
3: right um and just lastly uh, of course the cost of living has affected each and every single one of us uh some of course more than others so you know just for the benefit of our listeners uh, could you just explain what inflation is and how it's calculated? Yeah,
7: of course. Um, so inflation is essentially a measure of, of how much prices of goods and services have gone up over time. So a good maybe. So you've gone into a shop and or you've gone online and you've purchased something and you physically get something. So it could be a television, it could be, you know, food, groceries. And services are essentially when you paid for something and you've received a service in return. So you've gone to the laundry, you've gotten a haircut, or you've bought a train ticket. And usually people measure inflation by comparing the cost of a number of goods and services. So they take a, a few goods and services, they check the price of it today versus the price a whole year ago, and then the average increase, in the price is inflation. So it's essentially how much the prices have gone up on average over the last year. Now, in the UK in 2022, we had an inflation rate of 9.2%. That was in December 22. So essentially, if something was 100 pounds 12 months ago, in December 22, it would have cost 109 pounds 20. So you can see the increase in prices. Um, And yeah, in order to control this inflation, Um, that's what the central banks and the governments use interest rates to increase the interest rates or decrease the interest rates in order to control that inflation
2: right Uh, if I can quickly go back to the last question um, Mubesha put to you uh, which is around um, uh, you know the 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 rise in um, in people uh, spend on their credit cards now uh, you know Visa, of course, is a is a profit-making company, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, and, and that, of course, affects uh, Visa's business positively. You know, whether it's a debit card or credit card, you're in the middle, as you said, and and, and you're getting a fee. Uh, but in terms of you know, looking at it more holistically, and and trying to make this uh, a more sustainable and a more sustainable business for yourself, um, because I would imagine it would be in your interest as well that more people um, are in a solvent situation as opposed to an insolvent situation. Like, is there anything that, any steps that Visa International takes uh, to, to to support people and make this business more sustainable?
7: Yeah, so it's a difficult one for Visa. I mean, they have their whole marketing, etc., but our clients are not the consumer. We don't sell directly to the consumer. Our clients yeah. are the bank's are the the banks of your shops your you know your, the banks that have issued your cards? So um, I believe Visa does work with those banks and does provide them financial support to help with some of these schemes. But that's a lot of that is done indirectly. So directly with consumers, with with you know the people on the ground, there's not very much we can do really.
2: Right. So so you work with the banks, and then the hope is that the banks would then. Um, extend that particular help, whatever help you're giving yeah, back yeah, back to yeah, the consumer. So it's yeah. down to uh, to the banking industry to to again come in and and, and help out. Excellent. Uh, thank you very much uh, for that, uh, Mister uh, Najeeb Rafi uh, Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate your input and uh, making us a bit wiser this morning.
7: Alaykum. Wa
2: alaikum. assalam Peace be with you and thank you once again have a great day and the rest of the week so that was mr najib ruffy who is a senior data and analytics manager at visa uk talk to, talking to us about uh, the role of visa what visa does um, how they make uh, how they uh, generate income and uh, even uh, a little bit about the help that they give to the banks as well because we are uh, as we talked about uh, you know in difficult times the economy is in recession there is a cost of living crisis and uh, a lot of people, I mean, this is this is alarming, uh, Imam Zafri, I mean, what you mentioned, in terms of people resorting to their credit cards as opposed to debit cards. I mean, this is an alarming sign, isn't
3: it? Of course, I mean, it's alarming, but at the same time, it's quite ludicrous as well because hmm. people are, you know, you resort to something when you're in desperate need. If I if I, if I was to logically uh, think about it, I would only use a credit card if I'm, you know, if, if I have to use it at a very you know, at an essential point Mm. where I I can't resort to anything else. Mm. But uh, people are resorting to their credit cards for their luxuries. Uh, It's being spent on stuff, unnecessary stuff. Mm. Uh, And that's why, you know, then people get into the whole personal debt uh, situation situation, uh, Mm -hmm. and are unable to pay off their debts. And the thing with credit card debt or any sort of debt is that, of course, there's interest rate. And that's not going anywhere anytime mm-hmm. soon. And that just keeps up. building up and up and but, up and up.
2: But you know what, I was afraid, I think there's another side to this particular argument as well, which is that I, I know some people who are actually using credit cards to buy their groceries. Oh, yes. Because they don't have money <clears> in their in their bank and therefore cannot yeah. uh, use the I mean, of card. course, but
3: that, that, that's a necessity, right? That's what I was yeah. referring to, that you, you'd use a credit card for your necessities, right? If you had to, if you, you could not resort to anything else. Yeah. But if you're spending, and you're spending more... On on, uh, on luxuries, I mean on that's luxuries, you know, On the a, a Black yes. Friday, yeah. you know the the stats came in and people had spent more money on on Black on Friday this TVs year. Buying TVs and whatnot. Yeah. yes. this yeah. year than uh, in comparative uh, to last year, mm. or in comparison to last year. So those things, of course, then it, it's down to each individual sure. to make that call and to take that decision whether they're going to resort to that mm. or whether they're going to manage their finances better so that they can have a a debt-free life.
7: Hmm,
2: absolutely, and let's delve into that discussion after the news break. In terms of, you know, what Islam suggests. I mean, in terms of the, uh, in terms of following the middle path. In terms of having a balanced lifestyle. In terms of uh, not going for luxuries. Uh, let's let's delve into. Uh, uh, into that discussion more deeply after the news break. Um, so we are talking about the rise in interest rates and how that's affecting people in the cost of living crisis. Please do st- uh, do stay tuned. We are coming up uh, to the news break now. But when we come back, we will talk about what Islam suggests. What is the solution that Islam, Islamic way of life? What is the Islamic way of life um, which can help um, even in these difficult times? So please do stay tuned.
0: Allah, Allah, wa Allah.
1: To the Voice of Islam Radio.
2: Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to this live edition of the Breakfast Show from South London Studios of Voice of Islam. The time is 8:03 a.m. and today is Monday, the 27th of February, 2023. You're listening to al Dan- Zia and Imam Mubashir Zafri, and we're talking about the rise in interest rates and how that has been affecting the um, the people in general um Mubeshir, uh, imam mubashir zafri if i can come to you now and uh, and ask you about uh, you know moving towards a solution to these these problems so you know these problems are there um and um, you know offline we were talking about um uh, this uh, this stat that i read uh, read the other day that the top billionaires the top 8 billionaires of the world uh, bill gates and the like have the same amount of wealth as the bottom fifty percent of the world, which is four billion people, so top eight, eight people, and then the and the bottom four billion people have the same amount of wealth. I mean, it's these it are crazy numbers. Um, how does Islam? What is the Islamic solution to uh, to stop this accumulation of wealth?
3: Of course, uh, Islam, of course, as we see it, is a religion that is. Compatible. It's 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 a religion that can be put into use in every aspect of life, yeah. whether it's spirituality, mm. whether it's your social skills. Whether it is it's, a way of life. It's a, it's a way of life, and then of course it's. It would be wrong to say that you know Islam doesn't focus on your social life. It doesn't focus on your monetary life. Mm. It does. It, it teaches every aspect of the way. And Islam in no way does it forbid anyone from doing business. It doesn't say anywhere that you you, you can't, you know, guide your do business extra, or can't earn, of d- and profit. Yeah. Of course, and you can't go to the extra mile and earn uh, a living for yourself. Yeah. It doesn't stop you from doing that. Yeah. But what it does say is that there there has to be a balance in life. Right. And everything has to be in a system whereby everyone is going forward together. Mm-hmm. No one should be left behind. Mm. And that's the life that Islam presents. That, And this is the reason why Islam always says that, you know, in the sight of a God, we're all equal. Whether you have a different skin color to mm-hmm. one another, whether you have different status in society, whatever it, the case might be, you all are equal mm-hmm. in the sight of Allah. So equality is very, very important in Islam. But when we come to this uh, financial situation, um, uh, Aspect of Islamic teachings, it's very clear. Islam, and when we look, we've been discussing as well a lot of things. Wherever we talk about debt, wherever we talk about the accumulation of wealth, one thing is very prevalent, and that's interest. Yes, and uh, on the basis of interest, people are making tons of money. Hmm. You know, we were speaking offline that how you know debt, uh, you know, credit cards, people are on their credit cards. And that debt doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't disappear with a click of a finger it's mm. It's there, and it it keeps building up and it grows and grows and grows, and ultimately, of course, you have to pay that off yeah. and that's why there's so many people who are suffering from mental mental health issues, correct, because they fail to uh you know you know repay their debt. they're in this uh, trap of course and and their life is in turmoil. Uh, And, you know, all of those things have an effect on society. Um, You know, a person who is going through that, uh, it's very likely that this person will not be able to function properly, will not be able to work properly, will not be able to make those means Mm. by which he can pay off that debt. So all of those things have one thing in common, as I mentioned, and that's interest. And it's very, very clear uh, that Islam... Is against interest. It's, Islam has made it very clear that interest is forbidden. Mm. Uh, God does not permit uh, <clears throat> debt uh, interest, mm. and in every aspect, you know, even if it's a, a personal transaction, even in that, you're not allowed to go down the route of interest. Now, though, that bears a question: Then, how, looking at the world today, do you make a profit? Mm. How do you? You know, make money, and the answer is that, of course, you know, trade is not forbidden in mm. Islam. Mm. You know, doing business is not uh, uh, forbidden in Islam. You can always do that, but the the, the thing about Islam, making
2: money on money is ma- prohibited. Making yes.
3: Yes. money upon money is mm. uh, is, is has been uh, forbidden mm. in Islam, and that's the system, unfortunately, in the world today. That you know, if I go to the bank and I ask for a mortgage, I know. Or if uh, or a loan, you know, if I go, if I go out there, get a loan, ask them to give me 10,000 pounds in cash, hmm. they might give me the 10,000 pound cash. Yeah. But I know full and well that in those next five years, I'm gonna be giving back 13,000 or 14,000 pounds. And of course that 4,000 extra money is going to the bank and that's how they've made 4,000 pounds off me in in, in five years. Yeah. And this is a very small loan. You know, people take out massive loans, whether it's for business, whether it's for personal use. You know, people do, uh, you know, go get loans, and again, loans is a system that is not forbidden in Islam either. Islam says that, of course, there are. You know, sometimes a person can go through a thing whereby he doesn't have money and he has to, uh, you know, uh, you know, he has to go out and get his work done so mm. he of course has to go to someone and ask for money or has to go and seek help so islam is very 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 open about that and he says that and he says that of course uh, you know due to the need of a person you should help mm. and you should you know assist them but don't make money out of someone's dis- you know uh distress, his dis- distress and his um Uh, yeah don't make money out of his uh, distress Uh, and this is what is forbidden you know this is how they make uh, money if someone is in need of something it's already uh, desperate uh, and and you're making making them even more desperate Uh, you're making more desperate by telling them that okay we'll give you money but you've got to give us back Mm. more the person already doesn't have that money and you're asking for for, for, for Mm. more money Mm. of that person Mm. Islam says no if you you can help then help Mm. right Mm. and and the the system should be that if you've given someone a uh, hundred pounds, then only take back a hundred pounds. Yeah. You know, that's the criteria. Uh, apart from that, then the system of, you know, there's so many other systems that Islam speaks about, such as zakat. Right. you know, how that money is coming into the governance and how that then, because the thing is Islam doesn't say that, you know, the richer get rich mm. and the poor, you know, the poor fellows, they stay poor. Therefore, charity is so important right. in Islam. And charity is di- directly linked mm. with a reward, you know, mm. spiritual reward. Yeah. So, you know, if you're wealthy and you have a certain amount of money, mm. i.e. gold in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, yeah. and of course cattle and all the other, uh, you know, monetary objects that they had at the time. Based on that, if you had a certain amount, then you had to pay zakat is fuds. It's 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 obligatory. It's not you know, it's not um, it's it's mandatory. Yeah, it's not a voluntary. It, it,
2: it's, it's not voluntary. It's not a voluntary, voluntary uh, thing that you need to do in Islam. Let's delve more deeply into zakat when we go into discuss the um, the topic in the second segment because that's that's quite a similar discussion. Uh, if I can ask you, uh, you know, a, a similar uh, the question that you were raising earlier, which is about. Um, um, or the discussion that we were having earlier about, uh, you know, people going berserk on Black Friday sales. Uh, we are in a cost-of-living crisis. Uh, interest rates are rising. The economy is in recession. Um, what What is the Islamic teaching about... Um, does Islam say about uh, anything about, um, about what sort of uh, way you should adopt in life?
3: Yes, it, it speaks about how one should not exceed limits. Mm-hmm. One should stay within boundaries And uh, Allah Almighty states in the Holy Quran That Kulu wa that eat and drink But don't exceed the bounds mm-hmm. Don't become overtly possessive of you know, Becoming the richest person Or going out there and having everything Be very moderate in life mm-hmm.
2: Adopt the middle path
3: Adopt the middle path That's what Islam teaches it says that do what's necessary for you and then give up everything else for the betterment of the world. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would say that, you know, if I, if I could get the equivalent of gold, if I could get gold uh, in the equivalent of the mountain of Uhud, three days would not be spent, or there would three days wouldn't go where I would have not given that money out. Mm. So, you know, Islam teaches generosity, Islam teaches... Uh, you know, sharing what you have, taking care of the needy—all uh, of those things are ways to improve the life of everyone. Mm. You know people, as we were discussing, people who um, accumulate wealth. For them, their main motive in life is to accumulate wealth. As, as you said earlier, money attracts money. Mm. The more you get, the more you want. The greedier you become, the more you would want to would want in your plate. And Islam doesn't promote that. Islam mm. says that, be thankful for what you have, mm. look at those who are you know inferior to you, and try to help them out. Be generous. So therefore, at every you know, um, that's why charity is such a big thing. The Holy Prophet peace be upon him mentioned that you know, if uh, if people knew the benefits of charity, then they they would they would spend. Out of their pocket in charity, as much as they could. T- to the fact that you know to promote this, the Holy Prophet uh, even said that, you know, for every joint in the body, one should give charity. So the th- that's the thing that Islam says. It- it's against. It's about having a very moderate life where you have all that you need, and you keep that. And the rest you do to help mankind. Absolutely. No,
2: thank you very, very much. Uh, I'd like to end this segment by talking about um, uh, this um, uh, this grand scheme that the second caliph of the Muslim community came up with called Tariqa Jadeed, which was also about, um, you know, living a, a simple life and saving uh, money uh, for the cause of... Um, uh, for the propagation of uh, of faith um so i was um uh i thought i would just re- read out some of the rules um of this uh, this grand scheme and the first rule was lead simple lives uh, which is which is exactly what um uh what we were just talking about um and uh dedicating your holidays even for uh you know uh, for the service of uh, of the community rather than uh, then, uh you know uh, splashing them on um uh, on expensive holidays um and, and and you know the the list uh, it just goes on and um, you know it even talks about promoting honesty in the society uh keeping roads and p- uh, pavements clean protecting women's rights um uh, you know this is uh, this is a scheme by the way which uh, uh which was announced uh, back in 1934 if, yes. if i remember correctly So, uh, you know, uh, the West uh, often uh, talks about and and criticizes Islam for not supporting women's rights. So, say, here is uh, a scheme which was launched by the second uh, caliph of the um, the Muslim community, Hazrat Abashiruddin Mahmud, may Allah have mercy on his soul, back in 1934, and which talks about protecting women's rights. I mean, that was something that that was a time when women were struggling and fighting for their rights. Um, here in Europe, and uh, and and uh, you know he was the flag bearer of them, and there are many other rules. So I would uh, encourage people to uh, to look into those as well. Uh, with that, we conclude this first segment, um, uh, which was about the rise in interest rates. The second topic, which we we shall start um, immediately, is about um, the rise in profits of um, of this company, Shell. So Shell, as we know, is um, uh, is a fuel company. What is this uh, topic about? Imam Zafri?
3: Absolutely. So, uh, uh, as you've mentioned, Shell has reported its highest profits over 115 years, and that's quite, you know, bewildering, as well as astonishing. Because <laughs> we are paying
2: uh, we are paying, co- so- we're paying full cost, fuel costs fuel uh, costs through our
3: nose. Of course, and the the general uh, perception is that you know due to the Conflicts of the past year, the prices have gone up, but uh, other things suggest that the prices of fuel, even when it comes to barrels, that's gone down. And I think, as the um, the big owners of big companies, they're they're making the most of it, and generating profits. And well, beyond imagination. Yeah. Uh, imagination, of course. But the gist of the story is that uh, oil and gas giant Shell um, has, of course, reported its annual uh, profits after the energy prices surged uh, last year following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And that, of course, had a big impact on uh, our fuel. Uh, and if you remember, in the earlier parts of that conflict, uh, prices of fuel were nearly hitting you know, two pounds per litre for petrol. Mm. Uh, And diesel, of course, was far more expensive uh, than petrol. Uh, So energy firms have seen record earnings since uh, those prices have gone up uh, after the invasion of Ukraine. Um, And it has heaped pressure on firms to pay uh, more tax uh, as... Households struggle with rising bills. So two things, two conflicting things. Uh, prices are going up. People are struggling. And in the midst of that, Shell has made the highest profit. Yeah, oil the... companies are
2: making these huge profits. Um, let's go uh, to our guest who has some experience working in an oil company, uh, Mr. Gordon Balmer, who is currently the executive director for Petrol Retails, so- Retailers Association and has previously worked in uh, BP. For 30 years. Asalaamu Alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to the Breakfast Show. Good
8: morning. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh,
2: thank you very much for, for joining, Mr. Barmer. So, if I can start, can you help us explain this, um, uh, this conundrum? Uh, that um, So, how do uh, oil prices uh, work and how are they regulated by, by the government?
8: Uh, Well, um, oil is traded in in dollars, and uh, certainly from my perspective, um, I represent independent fuel retailers in the UK who buy fuel um, on a wholesale basis from a fuel supplier, so an oil company, and then sell it on a retail basis. But essentially, um, what happens is the cost of product, as we call it, is calculated on a daily basis using a pricing index. And that's based on the trades of um, refined products on the international, on the um, intercontinental exchange. These are trades that are made in 100-ton um, uh, cargoes in dollars per, per ton, as I say, um, converted to a pence per litre, and that forms the basis of a wholesale price that, uh, that our retailers pay their uh, their fuel supplier. So, is that something, Mr. Rama,
2: that's done daily?
8: Uh, yes, uh, each trading day um, there is, um, uh, as I say, a market. It's called the Intercontinental Exchange. There's a number of um, trading organisations such as BP and Shell, uh, Traffic Trafigeo, um you've got Vitol, Glencore. Um, they buy product um, and the basis of the calculation is the last trade of the day. So it's called on-market close um, pricing. That forms the basis, as I say, of the cost of product. Obviously, you've got other components that go into that, such as the biofuels, uh, ethanol in petrol and biodiesel in diesel. Uh, it's converted into a pence per litre rate. The fuel duty is added on. And as I say, that forms the basis of the of the buying price that retailers have.
2: So wh- why do we then generally see this gap between the fall in international crude prices and that not reflecting in the, in the prices um, uh, in the petrol stations?
8: Well, you've got two distinct markets. Basically, when crude, what it is basically, you've got crude that is obviously goes to an oil refinery, and then it's in it's turned into refined product. So, um, we don't sell obviously crude oil. There is a a, a correlation between the price of, of crude oil and um, obviously refined product, but it does take some weeks to filter through into the into the price of the refined product. Refined products of petrol and diesel is is based on, uh, or the the price of that is based on a number of factors, such as um, geopolitical events. Obviously, you've mentioned the um, Ukraine conflict, uh, the exchange rate, um, supply and demand, so that can be influenced by the weather. So there's a number of factors that go into um, influencing what the actual cost of um, petrol and diesel is when we buy it on a wholesale basis.
2: As an independent retailer, as you said, how, would, um, how did you take this news that Shell has earned this mighty profit? Uh,
8: well, I'm not obviously not a spokesman for Shell, but what I can tell you is obviously they are a multinational com- company uh, uh, operating in a number of countries around the world. So, um, you know, the profit that they're making isn't necessarily uh, relating to, uh, to fuel prices or fuel sales in the UK. It's over a number of businesses in a number of con- countries.
2: Of of course, um, but they would be using pretty much the you know the same formula that we I know a lot of markets where a similar sort of formula that you described um, is is being used. So, do you think it's it's fair to for for a company to uh, you know to earn this? Uh, it is is it right?
8: uh well there's a couple couple of things um obviously during the pandemic they weren't making anything like that in fact i think some of the major oil companies made a loss so you know there weren't a lot of people um complaining then um a lot of the footsie is made up of oil and gas so a lot of pension funds rely on the um you know the success of uh, oil, uh, oil and gas companies and of course they are very th- highly taxed as well on their on those profits so you know it's it's not all one way
2: sure um uh- if you can help our listeners understand a little bit, how how is it that um, when oil prices rise, that these companies take profit? I mean, if, if it's a, if it's just a small cut that these companies are taking in the oil prices, they are not um, uh, they are not backing banking the whole um, uh, the whole cost of uh, uh, crude oil, are they? So how is it that uh, they are making profits while everybody is suffering?
8: Uh, well. The, the, obviously, the price of, of, uh, of fuel that you pay at the pump has is, is, is got a lot of tax uh, related to it. So right. I think about 65% of that is government tax. So you've got the fuel duty, which is currently at 52.95 pence per litre. But that has uh, 20% VAT applied to it, so a tax on a tax. And um, you're probably aware that we've got the uh, budget coming up on the 15th of March, and there are discussions going on on what to do with the fuel duty, whether to can keep the 5 pence per litre Uh, cuts that was applied last year in place or whether uh, to increase it so you know a lot of that is is relating to government tax
2: right so so the government makes more money I I understand that how is it that uh, Shell is making more money as well
8: Uh, well they will be making making money at their retailing arm in the UK but as I say you can't just focus on the headline figure that they've made uh, on a global business in several different businesses around the world that's that's not the money that they make on the on the pump uh, in, sure. in their UK retail arm.
2: Right. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh thank you very much Mr. Mama, thank you for um for joining us and thank you for um for making us wiser. Thank you for um You're very welcome. for for making us understand how the how the fuel market here works and uh especially clarifying the fact that uh, you know that prices are effect, are being changed daily and they affect the they are affected because of what's uh, there in the in the crude oil market rather than sorry affected in the refined oil market rather than the crude market mm-hmm. if i got that right excellent thank you very much once again have a lovely day and the rest of the week so that was uh, mr Barmer, who um is the executive director at petrol retailers association uh, has been working was previously working with bp for thirty years, let's take a quick break now, and when we come back, we shall delve again up into the Islamic economic system. So um, we are in the in the cost of living crisis. The economy is in recession, and many economies um, around the world uh, are in recession. Um, and cost of living crisis is not limited to the UK. It's 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 a, it's pretty much a global crisis as well. So we should talk about what what Islam suggests. what is what are the solutions that um, Islam has? An Islamic economic system has, and we referred earlier to, to zakat, which is one of them. But we shall delve um, into that discussion more deeply. Please do stay tuned. Uh, the number to call, should you want to involve, should you want to join in this discussion, and we would encourage you to join in this discussion, would be zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. We shall be back right after this quick break and these messages. Allah.
4: شهد الا لا
0: اله الا
4: الله اشهد ان محمدا رسول
1: Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio.
9: Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed is the present head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, the most dynamic international community within Islam. The community was established by Hazrat Mirza Khulam Ahmed in Cardian a small and remote village in India. He claimed to be the expected reformer of the latter days, the one awaited by all major world religions. Founded in 1889, the community has continued to spread throughout the world, flourishing under caliphate, the system of spiritual leadership established after the demise of the Holy Founder. The current successor of this movement, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, continues the work of the Holy Founder to revive the spiritual and moral state of mankind. The movement embodies the benevolent message of Islam and its pristine purity, a movement that preaches peace, universal brotherhood and submission to the will of God. Ahmadi Muslims have earned the distinction and reputation of being a law-abiding and peaceful community. Within a century, the movement has reached all the corners of the earth and has been recognized and praised by the global community.
1: Your
8: interpretation of jihad has always been in stark contrast to the
5: extremist imams that we all deplore. We especially applaud His Holiness for denouncing those who pervert faith by claiming it as a justification for violence. However we define God, it is wrong to kill in His name.
6: I have enormous admiration and respect for the work that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community are doing throughout the world to promote peace and understanding. Not just by words, but by an example of a way of life, an example of impeccable conduct, and an example of undeniable faith in God Almighty, and an example of peace and tolerance. I only wish that more people could be here today to see this face of Islam, to understand this community's expression of that great religion, and I hope that for the future you will be recognised as the face of Islam, of love, of tolerance, of brotherhood and friendship. The work that you do in the community contributes every day towards that. Let us hope that everyone else's eyes are opened to the truth, to the justice and to the compassion that you bring to our society. His Holiness, Hazret
9: Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the present head of the community, continues in his effort to unite people from all faiths and cultures by promoting interfaith dialogue and religious freedom. He has travelled extensively to spread the message of peace and to remind everyone to respect the rights of other human beings. During these tours, His Holiness has met world leaders from the Far East to Europe from North America to Africa, discussing the economic, social and political problems facing the world today and how to create peace and justice in the world. He has also met religious and community leaders in order to share common values and core ideals universal to all religions and cultures, with a view to improving the moral state of mankind and creating an atmosphere of love and affection. From young to old, he compassionately listens to the ordinary man, regardless of race, color or religion. He has personally initiated social projects and schemes to alleviate poverty and human suffering. His concern is not just about the well-being and moral state of the members of the Ahmadiyya community, but of the great human suffering of mankind at large. The Ahmadiyya community knows only that Islam, which is the Islam of love and affection, offers a real message of peace and security.
8: It is a pleasure to be uh, associated with an organization, with a religion that says love for all, hate for none. And I think if we reflect on that, really that is what we all ought to be doing in the world today.
5: The Ahmadiyya movement in Islam has been a leader in promoting peace and partnership between communities. Established in 190 countries, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community continues to preach a message of peace and tolerance even in parts of the world that persecute them for their beliefs. But this should, ladies and gentlemen, come as a surprise to no one, to anyone who knows this community. Ahmadis are renowned throughout the world for their devotion to peace, universal brotherhood, and the will of God. The core principles of true Islam.
9: Uh, all
7: of us, whatever our political persuasions, hugely admire the work of um, the Ahmadiyya community here in the United Kingdom as we do uh, across the world.
2: the in London, London, in a
8: and you are also a beacon because you teach all of us that we will find the solutions to the problems of today through a rediscovery
1: of the spiritual side of our lives as well as the material side.
8: Let us make a resolution. Let us make this resolution to promote the message of peace and brotherhood, which is your message to mankind that people of different religions should not quarrel and fight with each other but should accept and tolerate and live together in that spirit of brotherhood and peace which is the essence of your religion.
4: أشهد أن لا
1: listening to the voice of islam radio warahmatullahi
2: wabarakatuh peace and blessings of allah be upon you today is monday the 27th of february 2023 the time is 8:35 uh, we are talking about the record profits declared by uh, the oil company shell the highest in 115 years amid uh, this uh, the prices um, the fuel cost prices um, uh, rising for consumers amid uh, the cost of living crisis, amid recession and all that. Mm, we Before we went to the break, um, uh, we promised that when we come back, we will talk about uh, the Islamic economic system. So, Imam uh, Moshu Zafri, what is the Islamic economic system?
3: So, basically, Islam, as mentioned before, is a, a way of life. It's a practice that enables one to lead a life... Whereby not only is he enhancing his spirituality, but he's also enhancing in his worldly affairs. Uh, and uh, to understand this, it's essential that we listen or read uh, a book by the second caliph of the community, um, Hazrat uh, Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed. Uh, may Allah be pleased with him. He stated uh, that. Uh, referring to the governance uh, of Islam, he states, and I quote, that the meaning of siyasa, i.e., statecraft and governance, also implies that one should make use of people with such moderation that they should neither be exploited nor underwhelmed. Siyasa, i.e., governance, does not only relate to the government, rather, all traders and professionals. Professional people have their respective siyasa, i.e. their governance. Then he continues to say, The siyasa of a trader is that they should neither bulk buy without due diligence to such an extent that unsold stocks start to rot in their warehouse, nor should they acquire goods in such low quantity that the demand of the customers cannot be met. In fact, they should buy goods according to the demand so that neither the goods are wasted while waiting for customers, nor that the customers have to be turned away due to the lack of goods. Similarly, a manufacturer's or a workman's siyasa is that they should neither take so long in producing the goods that the trading season elapses, nor should they start churning out goods before uh, uh, before any signs of demand have arisen. So this was a sermon that was delivered by the second caliph, and in this he explains how It's essential that uh, one should take care of the supply and demand and also how to be mindful of the consumers and not to put too much burden on them. But the thing is that it all goes down to being uh, just. just Justice is an imperative factor of uh, sustaining the economy. Uh, And this is what we were speaking about earlier uh, how, you know, the disadvantage of uh, raising or rising prices in in modern day is having an effect uh, on our day-to-day life. Uh, fuel prices are going up, as I mentioned, uh, though they have been going down now, but comparatively, they are much higher than they were before. And of course, this took a toll on people. Uh, there was so much burden being put on the government, um, so much burden was being put on other factors of our society uh, of course since people were finding it difficult to pay for fuel they were uh, finding alternative means um, such as going on public transport and that had an effect on public transport as well because there was a burden on, uh, on, on, the, on that uh, sector uh, since everyone was trying to use it uh, then there was a struggle in getting hybrid cars if everyone knows there was a whole um, there's a the whole thing that occurred with cars car prices suddenly uh, surged uh, and they went sky high uh, that had a big impact on people too so all of those things because there was no justice and of course as mentioned uh, you know uh, people are making a lot of money you know this story that we're looking at 115 years and this is the highest amount that they have generated um and of course that bears the question that if fuel prices at the uh, you know petrol stations are rising and people are going through difficulty how is it justified that a company is making so much money is it just is is there is there any justice in that and of course It's not just this company. There's so many other people who are making money. And as we were speaking earlier, money attracts money. People who are rich, they carry on getting richer. And those who are in the middle, the middle class, those are the ones who suffer the most. Um, So Islam, what does that teach us? Uh, the, The second caliph, may Allah be pleased with him, continues to say, There are many people who do not act according to justice. So exactly, this is what we're speaking about. Justice is so imperative in this situation. He continues to say, whenever they deal with someone, they try their utmost to usurp their belongings. These people do not honor promises. When a deal has been sealed, it is a matter of shame for someone to expect from X to abide by the agreement, but not themselves. And to expect that, they must get some profit under all circumstances, even if the other person suffers a loss. Then he continues to say, The traders wish to sell their goods at the full price, despite their being damaged and of a low quality. On the other hand, the buyers desire to pay less, but get items of a higher quality. In short, everyone wishes to inflict loss upon others in their own favor, but does not wish to benefit others. So this is the thing everyone's thinking about themselves. There is no concept of taking care for others or looking out for others. Everyone's looking out for their vested interests, um, and this causes, you know, burden on the others. And this is what we're seeing: the the rich, uh, you know, high income generating companies. They are only looking at figures. They want to raise their profits. Um, and relative of how that has an effect on the rest of us, um, and this is what's happening. There is no justice, and justice is a key element in sustaining uh, an economic system. Uh, but you know that goes to say that uh, you know even in the time of the Holy Prophet, Peace be upon him, we have to take a look at how things were dealt with in in the early periods of Islam. How was the economic system running? Uh, And the thing, as we were mentioning before in our first segment, the aim of Islam is to take everyone together, for there to be some sort of equality uh, within society. Of course, you can't get absolute equality. And as mentioned before, Islam promotes trade, it promotes business. And of course, it doesn't stop anyone from getting benefit but again benefit acquired through the right means is what Islam desires Um, and that is of course in line with justice as mentioned by um, the second caliph and in his example that you know people try to buy things uh, for for a lower price of a higher standard and those who are the um, those who are providing things who are selling uh, goods they sell even damaged goods for the exact price as a normal object. So, of course, everyone is looking out for themselves rather than looking out for others and trying to, you know, incur loss on the other party. And Islam, of course, is against that. It says that do justice. You know, if you know that there's something wrong with something, then, you know, give it at a lower price. And then the other hand for the consumers, Islam also teaches that if you are out there buying something, then pay what has been asked of you. Don't try to uh you know cut uh ends and uh try to be smart with trying to pay with with paying less to uh the one who's selling goods to you. So this is so important in Islam. Uh and this is what Islam teaches. Uh, the Quran even speaks about it, that, uh, you know, whenever you do some trade, do it with honesty, uh, do it with, uh, you know, justice. So honesty is very important. Uh, in short, uh, we must understand that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, the founder of Islam, he uh, prohibited uh, only improper interf- interference with price levels or unnecessary Uh, disruption in the normal operation of supply and demand and this is the thing you know if you raise prices unnecessarily this is where you get people complain about the living costs Uh, and of course a lot of things are not really spoken of they're kept behind a closed door Uh, and we do as we're told um, whether it's coming from the government whether it's coming from elsewhere, Uh, we don't really know the gist of it. And that's why transparency is such a key factor in Islam. You have to be transparent about things. You know, if you know your good isn't, uh, you know, reliable, then tell your customers that, you know, this is faulty uh, and that's, uh, you know, this is wrong with it. Therefore, I'm selling this at a lower price. So transparency and honesty and justice uh, are key factors in sustaining the Islamic uh, economic system,
2: right? Uh, excellent. Uh, can we also maybe talk about uh, in the last few minutes um, about uh, the the system of the will or uh, the system of wasiat as as uh, we call it in Urdu, in Islam, which was um, initiated by the by the promised Messiah as well, which which also. Um, is a great solution to the financial problems that the world is facing today.
3: Of course, uh, uh, coming to waseed, uh, I think we should start off with zakat. Um, zakat, right. of course, is the monetary uh, aspect of the five pillars of Islam. Right, and it's it's essential Islam. It's it's an obligatory, a mandatory uh, part of Islam, which mm. is made obligatory on every person that it applies to, right. that falls under the. Uh, conditions of the hmm. god, uh, and um, the thing is, uh, Islam is against uh, one party accumulating heaps of wealth. Sure, it it, it speaks about there being justice, uh, the money being spread out, not in the way that the communists believe sure. it to be. Right, but there has to be some share of wealth. Again, adopting the middle way. Of away. course, yeah. adopting the middle way, so that the common ground or the common people don't suffer, and everyone, if 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 we are progressing then we progress together Hmm. if we fall back we fall back together Hmm. you know we always have someone to you know put our heads onto their shoulders it's not about you know if we're we're failing then we're failing uh, individually Hmm. if we're doing well we're doing well together if we have a setback then it's a setback that's common to all uh, and Islam speaks about that unity. That's why brotherhood and unity is so important in Islam. Mm. So how do you then bring that into the finances? Islam, or Allah then in, in, introduces zakat. Mm. It says that zakat is 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 uh, you know the obligatory amount that you have to pay towards you know the uh, towards the propagation of uh, Islam, towards the national security of uh, the place that you're living in for the people who are looking after you uh, you know the civil servant for their use for for anything that is for the poor people, for, for the for for, needy. For, yeah. for the needy. And yeah. uh, there's a separate side to that as well. Yeah. And apart from that, then Islam promotes the voluntary spending for mm. the needy. Mm. And it speaks about how great it is. And of course, Allah the Almighty hasn't made that incumbent upon everyone because of course everyone's situation is different. Mm. But it promotes it to each and every single individual that do some voluntary charity work, hmm. give to the needy, and as a result, Allah will give you more. As hmm. a result, you will gain the right, uh, the closeness of Allah Almighty. As a result, you will gain Allah's love, Allah's pleasure. So the promotion of giving charity to the needy is so big. You know, even a little child, uh, is, uh, a Muslim child, knows about charity. Hmm. You know whether it's giving sadaqa, hmm. which is you know voluntary. Uh, money that's given for the needy. Mm. Little kids, you know, you go to the mosque, you see that they're putting, you know, 10 pence, Mm. 20 pence Mm. into the big sadaqa boxes, Mm. right? Mm. So it's promoted. And the sole purpose behind it is that, you know, it's not about individualism. It's not about I'm making money, so I'll just make money. It's about, about, you know, let's take everyone together, Mm. you know? And that's why looking out for a brother in Islam or, you know, fellow is so important. It's, uh, and that's why the brotherhood and unity is so important in Islam. And you'll see that in every aspect of Islam, that unity and brotherhood is there. You know, uh, even in the spiritual realm, that's there. Hmm. We don't say that the individualism prevails. It's about togetherness, hmm. about hmm. unity. And that's why even when we pray, we pray in congregation. Right. That we, we come to God together we here yeah. as one absolutely so so then you know zakat so this is what zakat is so the people who have a certain amount and they fall under the conditions uh whether it's
2: let's c- let's give an example so if uh, let's say uh, assume i'm a billionaire uh, i'm not uh, just to make sure that everybody understands that very clearly uh but <laughs> if if i was uh, yeah. how would uh, zakat b- apply on me
3: so zakat the way zakat would apply on you is that any savings that you have yeah uh, and for a billionaire, of course any money that is not being regulated into usage and okay. is there as a savings uh, and has been there for over a year over a year so for, for every year right? 2.5% of that would go to Zagat
2: okay so if I had let's say uh, you know a million pounds lying in a bank account yes. and they were there for a year yep. uh, then I will have to pay, pay 2.5%, 2.5% of that to Zagat to, as, as Zagat Zakat,
3: yes. and a- that's, that's that, yes, that and that's compulsory Okay. Not voluntary, right? So that's what zakat is in very basic term. Two point five percent on same And if thing, I let's say there.
2: also had some some gold and I'd, I'd invested yes. in some gold and I had that. And of course, so
3: the equivalent value of that, if if it surpasses a certain amount, yeah. Then, and if you're talking about a millionaire, I'm guessing they would have a lot of gold. Sure. So two point five percent of that equivalent to that would be given into zakat, either in form of cash, or even if you, you know, like, they did in the olden days, they would donate. The gold, right? Uh, into Zakat. Okay. And when we were speaking in the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, you know, at that time they didn't have cash as we have today. Hmm. They had different ways of you know, paying things, mm. uh, paying for things, such as, you know, they had cattle, they had, uh, you know, other goods, grains. Mm. So you know, there was a different standard for each, every single thing. You know, for example, over 10, if you had 10 cows at a certain age, then one cow would be sure. uh, given zakat, or a sheep would be given zakat mm. for every 10, two for every 20. You know, there's a, there's a whole shada, which is basically the... Um, uh, the The percentage, the percentage. Yeah. That's the cards based on, right. so and that's not voluntary. So as a result, that would be used for different, uh, you know, aspects of. The society within the society, yes. Uh, okay. Now so, coming to the, C at the your second question. Yeah, absolutely. Let's so this C is twenty two point five percent. Let's let's make sure.
2: So so this is compulsory, yes. and that has to be. So if I'm a billionaire or a millionaire, and I had yeah. a, a million pounds in a bank uh, account and uh, and lots of jewellery and gold and whatnot, yes. Then the, 2.5%, game, the,
3: the way we get two point five percent is uh, is based onto the prices of gold, and of course at that time they didn't have like two point five percent. It was based on the ratio of gold and that now is equivalent to 2.5% and that's why we take okay, it. I think 5, it was it's
2: seven and a half um, uh, grams or, 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 or something on that, like that. Yeah. On, on that, yeah.
3: uh, so that's what it's based on, sure. it's based on silver right. as well.
2: But, but, uh, but either way, you know, it's a very small,
3: uh, small. It's a small it's, percent. It's, I think again, the, 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 uh, the beautiful thing is it's not burdensome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. On a person. Right. On a person who is able to pay it, yeah, no. and it's
2: also on on uh, on the gold and the cash that is not being being you, used. Yes, yes. So if you had a you had an account in which uh, you know you were using money, or if you had uh, if this you, is only surplus cash. Yes. This is only surplus gold which you're not using. If you're using that gold as well, if you know, if you if your wife, if my wife is wearing that gold all the time, which she she not
3: but, but Islam doesn't it doesn't forbid you from paying on that as well. Sure, if you want to. We're talking about the compulsory of aspect course, though. Of so course. so the compulsory the aspect, minimum the, the minimum the, the minimum is okay. that. Right. And that of course is for the general good uh, you know for the, the the benefit of the people there. Right. And that's why and it's not it's not and again that allows you to you know control the finances in a way where it's not being a burden on any individual. It's helping the needy. Helping the,
2: the needy. It's uh, stopping accumulation yeah, of wealth. Yes, yeah, of course. So, so, so that's two point five percent right yeah. there, and that's compulsory. Now, let's talk about wasiyah.
3: Wasiyah. Now we come to wasiyah. Vasiyat of course, again is another aspect of um, charity or compulsory giving hmm. out of your uh, out of your earnings, right? Mm-hmm. So the promised Messiah. Uh, may, uh, may Allah have mercy on him may Allah uh, you know peace be upon him he basically in, towards the end of his life around 1905 speaks about this uh, you know this scheme hmm. whereby he of course the Messiah, Islam, or oh, peace be upon him he had the you know the purpose of spirituality behind it hmm. the, the essence of spirituality sure. and of course the Holy Quran speaks about that if you want to attain true spirituality and righteousness uh, then uh, you have to spend out of what you love.
7: Right.
3: So keeping in that mind bearing that in mind based on his dreams and his revelations he said that if you want to become righteous mm. uh, another means of attaining righteousness and if mm. you want the dayness to Allah the Almighty mm. then uh, give 10% of, of your, your wealth, of your wealth, uh, in the way of God, yeah. and with that also transform your, you know, your your, your life, in mm. terms of spirituality. It's not merely enough to just be paying 10% of your wealth and thinking that now I've become righteous, yeah. but also adopting righteousness in its essence by you know performing your uh, prayers, by giving to the needy, by uh, you know. Um, taking a step back and analyzing your shortcomings and trying to improve on those. So all of those things combined, then that would give you the you know, the tools of attaining Allah's love. But it also, you know, speaking about the giving 10%, and 10% is minimum, you can go all the way up to a third of your wealth and you can denote, uh, donate that in in Vasiyyat. And again that again stops that uh heaps mm-hmm. of accumulation of uh you know tons of money uh and circulating it and the money which is uh, uh obtained from the uh, Sit of course is used for the needy is used for mm-hmm. different elements for the propagation of islam for uh you know publications of books for the general good of the world right and this is not—it's not just wassied. Every um, scheme hmm. that uh, we have in our community, whether it's thehedik al-jadīd, whether it's the wukf hmm. whether it's the Bilal Fund, hmm. whether it's the Mariam Fund, uh, fund, whether it's uh, uh, you know Chanda arm—I mean, of course, these are very specific terms. I will just quickly speak about them. So, for example, the al al-jadīd it's a it's a scheme that was started in 1934 the opponents of the community they wanted to annihilate the community and in response to that uh, the the second caliph he said that it's time that we now spread this message across the world let's start building our schools around the hmm. world so that we can give education to people let's start making hospitals so now all the community's hospitals and its missionaries and its uh, you know schools uh Eye clinics, all of these things are under that, so that 's helping the wider world
2: yes um, and, and you know we are coming to towards the end of the program. I just want to make a very quick point so i 've just done a back of the envelope calculation based on what you were saying about the system of uh, of the will or, here, um, as well as the card, which is two point five percent, so the will is ten percent minimum, it can go up to one third as well. And uh, Zakharth is two point five percent. So, uh, and I just googled. Uh, so, the ten uh, top ten richest men in the world are Jeff Bezos and this is Google. Uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, Gautam Adani, um, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Larry Ellison, Larry Page, uh, Steve Bar- Steve Ballmer, and Carlos Slim. So, those are the ten richest people, and their net worth, combined net worth, again according to Google, is seven hundred forty two billion dollars. Now, 10% of that is $74 billion. And just to put that sort of amount in context as well, uh, a few weeks ago, I was talking to um, uh, the program director in uh, United Nations Children's Fund. And she mentioned that if only United Nations Children's Fund had $30 billion, they could eliminate hunger, if, uh, hungry ch- hunger for children in Africa. Yeah. And and this, you know, this alone, so, so the number that I came up with was 74 billion. Oh, that's and that's just that's just one year that's just one, and that's just that's the wealth and um 2.5% would be every year yeah. off that um if of course these 10 individuals were uh, were Muslims. So that's you know that's just to put uh one uh, one number in um in context and and and, the, and how Islam promotes distribution of wealth and how Islam provides a practical solution to distribution of wealth. Ladies and gentlemen, that was our show this morning. Thank you so very much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have all of you. I must thank everybody who's, uh, who's helped us uh, putting this show together, including our producer Zakir Rehman, our researcher Saira Shanze, vajia Rukhsana, excellent tech, tech help from uh, Mr. Tahir in the tech room, and, of course, my fellow presenter, Imam Bashar Zafri. assalamu alaikum